Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the Verge.mobi, your number one source for mobile news. That's not right. Pretty soon we're gonna we're gonna be the Verge TV. <laughs> we'll get there. I'm Neelai. Dieter is here. Hi, Dieter. Hello, hello, hi. Paul Miller is here. Hi, Paul. Hello. We're Merry back. Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> We took a few weeks off, but we're back. This episode is going to be a little bit all over the place because I thought that what we were going to do was a little bit of CES preview. CES, the Consumer mm. Electronics Show. Starts this weekend. It's the biggest show in tech, which is a every year a more and more meaningless appellation. There are always bigger TVs or TVs with more pixels, which appeals to me personally. <laughs> and then lately, Amazon and Google are just are fighting it out over smart home things that connect to smart home platforms. So it's a good time. Yeah. So here's what I thought. I thought we'd come in. You know, it's the, the days after the, the big holiday break. We were off. I'd talk to my friends here, Dieter and Paul. We'd talk about what's going to happen at CES. I'd maybe ask them a little bit about, what'd you get for this? It'd be fun and relaxed. <laughs> and then, for the girls. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then all hell broke loose. <laughs> <laughs> so last night, fairly late, uh, Tim Cook published a letter to investors. Uh, Tim Cook is the CEO of uh, uh, Apple. It's a small company yeah. that we talk about infrequently. Mm-hmm. Um, saying that after 60 days, Apple was reissuing its revenue guidance for the first quarter and that it would be making a little bit less money than it had planned to make or that it had promised investors to make. It's a long yep. letter. You can read it. It's on Apple's website. It's 1,400 words. It starts basically this way. To Apple investors, today we are revising our guidance for Apple's fiscal 2019 first quarter, which ended on December 29th. We now expect the following revenue of $84 billion, gross margin of 38%. Based on these estimates, our revenue will be lower than our original guidance for the quarter with other item, items remaining broadly in line with our guidance. So that's down like 15%, right? Is that right, Dieter? Something like that. Yeah, the, the numbers are like, I mean, people are doing the math differently. It could be anywhere from like 5 to $9 billion, And it was like... The only thing I think I keep thinking is, you know, Apple says it could miss nine billion in iPhone sales, and it's like they've got so much money. Would they they, they would just miss it? They just like miss it? They lose it in the couch cushions? So the previous the 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 sixty days ago, Apple said it would produce revenue between eighty nine billion and ninety three billion, and today Kim Cook says it'll be eighty four billion. So it depends on where you measure in that that set right. of things. And the couch cushions are China. Yeah. And <laughs> so then he, in this letter is very long. There's a lot of parts to talk about. So that's like just one thing that yeah. happened and we will talk about that. Yeah. And then oh, so much to say. <laughs> I promise we will talk about this. And then today uh, it comes out that AT&T has just been running around filing trademarks for something called Verge TV. No. And you may have, re- you may recall from slightly earlier in this episode when I told you the Verge was the flagship podcast of the Verge. And so that's just our name. That's our, that's our mm-hmm. name that they are trademarking for their forthcoming TV service. So we wrote a post. Our, our general counsel, Lauren Fisher, is all fired up. Lawyers are going to lawyer. A good time will be had. But come on. What are you doing? What's Verge TV like? 18, you don't go magenta, AT&T. Well, so AT&T has already uh, DirecTV, which I'm going to just go uh-huh. ahead and say is a strong brand name for TV platforms. <laughs> All right. Uh, they have a new service, which is just called Watch TV, which is kind of a an exhortation <laughs> to AT&T subscribers. It's like one of those apps that you name, and it's just kind of like an instruction. You know, like people mm-hmm. buy a phone that kind of don't know how it works, and they just push a button, mark Watch TV. And now AT and T is building them an extra twenty bucks a month. It's like naming your browser Internet. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't. Well, I just want Internet, and you just like push it. So that's yep. Watch TV. These are just. It's not a new product yet. It's not out. It's just a uh, quote flurry of trademarks 
for something called yeah. Verge TV. Look, maybe they're signing a deal with us. We just don't know it yet. Maybe they're going to come to us and be like, hey, we love you guys. Uh, love your net neutrality coverage, Neelai. Have you thought about having a TV platform on our, on our network? They're going to be really embarrassed when they Google it and they find out what Verge means in French. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, yeah. Actually, that's the funniest part to me is you would think that big corporations would do their due diligence to, you know, find out if somebody else was using that trademark. Like, I don't know, mm. a giant website or, you know, <laughs> the French language. <laughs> the French language thing, I have to say, it's it's a it's a it's a rumor. It's out there. You can Nobody knows what, what French is. It's not a real language anybody speaks. There's no way to verify. I'm not I won't say it here. This is a family show for Moby fans. Anyway, so just like all hell broke loose. So AT&T, yeah. uh, you know, call us maybe, and then, you know, we can say no to you. That would be great. Yeah. You could have done that before, but I'm issuing this formal invitation here on this show. You know, just let me just let me know. What if AT&T is just bitter that we keep on calling them out on their refusal to name Gs accurately? Because they just started putting 5GE on the box and on phones for devices that are LTE advanced, and they're calling that 5G, 5G evolution. Yeah, and they they pulled that crap with 4G and actually a little bit with 3G, although not really. It was like 2G. Anyway, maybe they're just mad. Maybe maybe this is revenge. It's revenge, or maybe they're just liars and thieves. I don't know. Whatever it is. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Who knows? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, AT&T, you want to be that company that uh, lies about how many Gs people have? You can do that. We'll be here. We'll let people know that you lied about it. You know, a company that just, like, steals a trademark, you can do that, too. And then, like, like I said, just let me know how you want the no to be delivered to you. I can say it to you on the phone politely. You can, Randall, see you can come on the podcast. I can, I can tell you directly. Uh, I'm willing to do, like, a stop-motion animation of me doing calligraphy that says no and then mailing that mm-hmm. to you. There's so many ways for me to broadcast audio and video on the internet using mobile applications, which is what your trademark is for, using the Verge trademark. I can you pick one and I'll do I'll do that and then mm-hmm. that can be how you receive. Anyway, I'll stop. Our lawyers are gonna get real bad at me. Back to, No, talk- like that's the thing. Everything we're saying here, if this turns into a real lawsuit, will be like put into evidence. So I just wanna say for the record, on evidence in the trial that this could turn into someday, that ATT is bad and they know it. <laughs> And now that's on the record. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, <laughs> if I just start making closing statements in the podcast. Have you ever seen an article by Jesus Diaz for Gizmodo with the AT&T logo and it looks like a Death Star? I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the two things that happened to blow up the CES previews. We always talked yeah. about AT&T. Let's get back to Apple. So Apple says it's going to not make up as much money. They're going to make $84 billion instead of 89 to $93 billion, which is a, a big miss. All the other stuff is the same. Their gross margin, their operating expenses. Really, and this is what Tim Cook's narrative is, they sold less phones in China because they yep. think the Chinese economy is not doing very well. And then he says he's not shading it. Well, macroeconomic challenges in some markets were a key contributor to this trend. We believe there are other factors broadly impacting our iPhone performance, including consumers adapting to a world with fewer carrier subsidies, U.S. dollar strength related price increases, and some customers taking advantage of significantly reduced pricing for iPhone battery replacements. Yeah. So people aren't buying as many new phones in China. The buying cycle in other countries, including this one, is, is different. And then people are up uh, are fixing the batteries on their phones, and they're not upgrading as fast. Also, 
Apple doesn't make a phone for emerging markets. Yeah. It's not a thing. It's like Nike saying, you know, our car sales are down because people don't <laughs> people don't want to buy shoes and drive them as cars. You know, like Apple <laughs> well, so does I, not make a cheap phone. No, no. I looked this up today because it made no sense to me. Depending on who you ask, China is an emerging market. What? Right? Okay. So, yeah, it made no sense to me either because, you know, it turns out I don't spend my days running around with the, the select group of economists who classify markets. If they're out there, I'm sure their parties are super fun. Yeah. <laughs> but they write blog posts explaining their thinking. So basically, it like China's GDP per capita is not maxed out. So technically, the market is still emerging, right? It's still pretty low on the curve compared to like the United States or, uh, okay, you know, a European country. So technically, China counts as an emerging market. I th- did not make intuitive sense to me. The way that we talk about China on this show, the way that the tech industry thinks about China, like the last time we had a Vergecast, what do we talk about? Google needing to go to China because that's where the money is. All of our products are manufactured there. Chinese tech companies are huge. These are world-class cities and a gigantic nation that we're in a trade war with. But if you just look at that specific curve of GDP per capita, they haven't reached the same level as the United States. So they're technically emerging. So Cook gets to say, we struggled in emerging markets instead of having to say, we struggled in our other biggest market, which is China. Yeah. I guess the way I think of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm just off on my numbers here, but I feel like Apple was like selling $650 phones up against $300 phones. And then Apple's like, we got this. We'll make our phones a thousand dollars and see what happens. And you know, that's not going to work out, right? Or were there more variables at play here that I'm not picking up on? So there are, you know, today was the day of Twitter theories. Everyone today became yeah. a Chinese economist, which is great. Yeah. And it's one of, one of the best things that can happen on the internet is suddenly everyone becomes an expert. So the competing theories are pretty basic. One, Tim Cook is he's saying the truth, right? It's like the simplest one. Chinese economy is turning down. There's a trade war, which is, he, he mentioned the United, trade tensions between the United States and China. All those things mm-hmm. are depressing sales in China. Everywhere else is fine. The iPhone's still a great product. Apple makes great products. Don't worry about it. Calm down. I'm John Gruber, and this has been the talk show. Right? And that's fine. Like, (laughs) that's fine. And, like, one of the things I hate the most is, like, when the Apple web goes into amateur Apple PR mode, but that's available to you if you want it. Right? It's just, like, out there. So that's, like, theory one. And I think that is a legitimate theory. Like, Apple as a company, we deal with them all the time, tends to not straight out lie to you. Like, they don't. They shade the truth, they're arrogant, they can bluster, whatever, but they rarely will just directly lie. So you mm-hmm. have to imagine there's some glimmer of truth in Tim Cook's statement, potentially more than a glimmer. And I think it's very telling that Dieter just read it. They mentioned the battery thing. They could have just yeah, not mentioned it. they didn't have to. They could have just not mentioned it. That's that's <laughs> the thing is one of the big questions is, um, and this is one of, you know, I just mentioned John Gruber, one of the things he has been harping out is, why is this letter so long? Part of it is Apple's a different company than it used to be the last time they had to do this 15 years ago. Um, so they, you know, they're a big blue chip company now. And so they need to like give more explanation, blah, 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 blah. Um, but like, yeah, if it, the more that you, the more that you talk, there's more things for us to wonder about why you said it. And they chose to 
not just pinned on China and like other factors. They chose to name those other factors and specifically naming the battery thing in addition to like the, you know, carrier subsidy thing and the pricing thing leaves a lot of room for us to be like, well, what percentage of it is China? Is it the vast majority? Okay. But what percentage of it is this other thing? And how much should we actually be paying attention to? Are people not upgrading anymore? How much should we be paying attention to that we can just, it's, it, it makes more sense to get your battery replaced than it does to upgrade these days, you know? Yeah, so there's that. And then there's the fact that last quarter they said, we're going to stop telling you how many phones we sell. Right. Mm -hmm. So Tim Cook went on CNBC today and said, well, if you look at if you look at it, the problem is entirely mainland China and the entire problem is entirely the iPhone. And it's like, well, I can't. You won't let me look at that. So I have to, I have to trust right. you, which, again, mm -hmm. you can play that card one or two times. Say, like, trust us. We're Apple. We're good at this. Trust us. Here are the problems. Here's this other list of problems. We're going to we're going to address all of them. But you, you can't check them. You can't check their numbers. That trust evaporates, right? So coming off the heels of, we're not going to tell you our numbers anymore. You know, all these reports uh, saying suppliers are cutting their forecast for the 10s, and then there's a big argument at that, and then now they're actually cutting their forecast. I think people are primed to not trust Apple, and then you can't go and check their work. You can't go and say, well, you know, it is. It's true. iPhone. It, the problem here is really the iPhone in China. You just have to believe what they say because they're not even providing the investors with that stuff. So then the next yeah. theory is that. The problem is in China, but the problem in China actually points to problems everywhere else, which is kind of the theory that I'm subscribing to, right? Which is Apple's entire business model is based on you buy an iPhone and then you're locked into everything else Apple does. And you're gonna buy mm -hmm. you're gonna buy more and more stuff that Apple makes and spend more and more money on their services. And I literally got an Apple Watch for Christmas and it's great and it's super locked to the iPhone. And that means my next phone will probably also be an iPhone because I bought this thing. You know, it's like just this compounding sort of iMessage group text of products that you buy, <laughs> right? And like, what, you can't leave because then the whole thing turns green and your life is a disaster. I think that's like my theory. And that's sort of like the Ben Thompson approach, which is, hey, you know what the most important thing that happens on a cell phone in China is, is WeChat. And that means people can switch phones really easily. And so yep. if you're selling your $1,500 iPhone XS Max that looks basically the same as last year's phone, and there's a great OnePlus phone, and there's a great Huawei phone, and there's a great... Uh, Miezo phone, I don't know, whatever. There's a Poco phone, like whatever. And they cost somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, the equivalent of, you know, $400, $500 less than an and iPhone. The, and their screens are getting bigger and their cameras are doing, right, like you have this like explosion of features and innovation and all you really need is WeChat to seamlessly move from platform to platform. Well, of course, having a price premium for a phone that kind of looks like last year's phone is going to depress your sales. Add mm -hmm. that into like, whatever Chinese economy stuff is going on. And if, like, right, like, and then you can say, well, if that's happening in China, when will it happen elsewhere? Would it happen elsewhere? So, you know, Apple's out there with other numbers too, like most activations in the United States on Christmas Day ever. So like they sold yep. a lot of phones, right? But that's like one little data point. Also, we don't know the number, right? Yep. It's like, it's right up there with Amazon being more Kindles were dunked into a pool today than last, no one knows <laughs> what that means. So like, I think Apple's shading of the numbers is getting into this trouble where you can't check it so they're going to quickly start cashing in the chips on that trust because there's no way for them to build it back. There's no way to earn that trust back because you can't check their own numbers unless they, you know, next quarter everything's fine again and they make more money and then no one really cares. But as long as they're in this bumpy. And then I think the third theory is very much the, and I think this one is just wrong. The phones are too expensive and no one's buying them, right? And it's like, well. Well, legitimately fewer people are buying them. That's like the problem. Yeah. 
you don't think that's an expense thing? I mean, it's an expense thing relative to, like with China specifically in the Ben Thompson theory, you're not going to buy a more expensive phone for an incremental improvement. There's been a lot of chatter about, you know, all these anecdotes of, well, I chose not to upgrade my phone as a, you know, blah, blah, blah person on Twitter in America, and therefore that explains it. Well, sure, I get that you don't want to use those anecdotes as evidence. But I do think there is something to this idea that the trend in China of, you know what, I don't need this phone is a broader thing. I think that there is less hunger to get the new iPhone now or this year than there has been in years past. And I think that that actually was starting last year. It just got, you know, juked a little bit by the iPhone 10, which is a new form factor and had some some new stuff in it. Yeah. But I do think that there is a general slowdown in people upgrading their phones every year. I think that's right. I, I just think that last year when they came out with a $1,000 phone and they sold a lot of them yeah. indicates that people will pay a lot of money for a phone. Their expectation is just, one, it'll be radically different than last time in some way. Yeah. And two, it should probably last a long time. right? And Apple, yeah. at their last event, they put – and you got to read all these things together, right? At their last event, they put Lisa Jackson, who's their VP in charge of environmental stuff, on stage. And she said, the best thing we can do for the environment is make our products last a long time. She said, she said it explicitly, clearly, out loud. The best thing we can do for the environment is, is make your products last a long time, which means yep. they're built to last and the software will run on them for a long time. And it's true. iOS 12 just runs on everything. It like, runs pretty well. So they're committed to these long upgrade cycles, right? They, they want that to happen. They're saying they want it to happen. The question is just this time around – is the competition actually catching up with them? Is is this money moving elsewhere in the market? Or is it just disappearing because people are spending it on something else? And I don't know the answer to that question. But if it is moving elsewhere, right, one of the things that you can kind of just look at and say is, well, Apple doesn't have a lot of other products for you to spend that money on that are super competitive, right? Mm -hmm. Like if what you want is a bunch of home automation stuff because you're interested in smart speakers and you're a tech person, like you can't get a HomePod with a screen that runs your iCloud photos. That product would kill. Like that's everybody I know bought a HomePod because yep. they wanted to put Google Photos on it. Apple Photos yep. are not as good as Google Photos. They don't even have that product to sell you. If you want a little HomePod for your bathroom, like you just can't buy it, right? Like yep. there's a bunch of stuff that they just don't have that is like that's where all the interest is in now. And I, I, I don't know what to do with that. If you want to buy a Mac laptop, well, enjoy watching YouTube for the next five years while people argue about which one you should buy. Like, <laughs> that's tough. So I, I, that's why I'm in that middle zone. I think that third zone of the phone is too expensive and I didn't buy it and that means nobody bought it. Well, they still did, however, you know, 80-some billion dollars in revenue. People are yeah. buying the phones. I, I just think the, the iPhone curve is plateaued and there isn't a lot else filling up the gap. Right. And the question is, there's never, I won't say never, but it is highly unlikely we'll ever see a product or even a product category as like wildly blow your mind, change the industry as the iPhone was. Right. Um, actually, this was Kara Swisher's column today. It's the end of the Apple era, she called it. Uh, that, you know, we've been waiting for, will, will there be something else? Will it be smart home stuff? Will it be speakers? Will it be, you know, the the watch, the wearables? It, it, like. Will it be eyeglasses? Will it be VR? Will it be AR? I don't think we're going to have a like, bam, here it is. Everything's different now moment again. We're going to have little bits. And Apple hasn't had any of like other than the Apple Watch. None of those other little bits are like 
They're all hanging off the phone. Even the Apple Watch hangs off the phone. What's their most successful, everybody loves it product after the iPhone and then maybe the Apple Watch? It's got to be AirPods, right? Yeah. I answer it. Yeah. And like that's fine, but that's that's not a huge business. I was on a, a YouTube music hole the other day and I got suggested that song that's that uh, uh, plays in the Samsung commercial, which is uh, some woman covering the the Keen song, Somewhere Only We Know, you know, that yeah. song? She's she's wearing AirPods in her YouTube video where she's recording the song that is used by Samsung in its commercial. That makes yeah, sense. Nice. I just thought I just yeah. thought that was funny. But I'm I personally am very fed up with Apple. Just you guys remember Rendezvous and Bonjour, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, Apple school. had this Apple had this technology where computers could find each other and it was magic. And they would auto-populate in your iChat like people that you can contact and then you could share files with them. And then they turned that technology into AirDrop. And uh, my sister over Christmas wanted to send some photos to my dad. And he has a, a Mac running Mojave. She has a laptop running Mojave. And they put both open up AirDrop and it just doesn't work. And then there's a button. It, maybe this other person's using an older computer. So click this. And then they click that. And then she shows up. And like, okay, now we can transfer the files. But then it doesn't work. And I just feel like Apple has gotten so, I don't know. I feel like that's like my analogy for Apple. Apple is, is so magical. And it's kind of abstracted so much of the computing stuff away from us that we don't really know how any of it works. Like iMessage is just sort of magically hijacks phone numbers and things like that. And I just, um, I'm personally kind of, not in the mood for it right now. I, I, was, I don't know I, if other people are there. You know, it's funny they brought up iMessage. I don't, Apple's services, like just sort of like one by one, are not as good as anyone else's services except for iMessage. Yep. Right. So, like, I, I use Apple Music because I just prefer the its sort of default state of organizing artists and albums as opposed to playlists. So mm-hmm. like literally that's why I use it. And so I use it all the time. And it is just manifestly not a good, as good of an app as Spotify. Like you open Apple Music on a plane with like pretty spotty airplane Wi-Fi and it's like, what is happening? I can't load the interface. Like mm-hmm. it needs like it literally chokes out showing you the interface if you have bad Wi-Fi. Like it's just bad design for a mobile music application. Apple Maps, legendarily just maps of a different planet as far as i can tell and on and on and on and then you get to iMessage you're like oh this is the best one this is actually the best messaging product that exists save for it can't talk to android phones because there's not another Peter, correct me if i'm wrong there's not another fully encrypted privacy oriented messaging app that syncs multiple devices seamlessly because iMessage will work on on multiple phones an ipad a computer a watch whatever and it's like just works yeah, getting getting your messages sync like you can like signal and like the super private mode and some of the other things you can like you know scan the QR code on your desktop and then that'll work as long as you've got a phone connection but that all ties to your phone. If you want to have multiple devices that sync across, that's very difficult. And that's like that's my that's my biggest annoyance of wanting to use a fully end-to-end encrypted chat app is there's no way to do it and have it work across multiple phones. Uh, and sync your messages across. Yeah, I mean, if you want to be actually on the internet, uh, if you just want yeah. a million people replying to you and telling you that you're wrong, telling you that it will never happen, and telling you why, telling you that you're um, you don't understand the world market and that everybody in their country uses a different chat app, just hint that it might be interesting if iMessage were available on Android. <laughs> just like <laughs> drop a note. 
and you you just I you will just have endless people telling you no 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 blah 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 and like I get it. Uh, I don't think it's likely Apple will do it, and I know all the reasons that they won't. But like I don't know, I've got a draft uh, that I'm going to end up having to publish because I'm here. I am talking about on the Vergecast. Yeah, that, um, I know all the reasons Apple won't put uh, iMessage on Android, but maybe, just maybe, there's a moral case for them to do it. Because it's a good product. Because it's a good product that will give more people access to encryption, that will actually protect iPhone users from being snooped on because they'll be able to talk to people that don't use iPhones in a fully end-to-end mm. encrypted thing. And I know the answer is everybody should just install Signal, but uh, I have spent the last six hours trying to get my old college buddies to switch over from a Google group to Signal so we'd actually talk to each other in our like group chat instead of using you know email and we never talk to each other anymore. Yeah, can't do it. Try, try <laughs> to get my family to switch to a chat app instead of iMessage. Like I yeah. could get them to maybe use it for a week um, and like really push them on it, but realistically, nah. So it's good for U.S. customers. It would spread encryption. It would spread privacy, and that would be a human good to the world. And I don't know, maybe maybe we should ask, if, if these corporations are going to be this powerful and they're going to control this much of our lives, maybe we should ask that they do something good for us instead of just make money every now and then. I don't know. That's my moral case for uh, iMessage on Android. I'm just going to say this, and then Paul can yell at me. But in the in the ni- in the ni- late '90s, early 2000s, the Department of Justice basically forced AOL and some Messenger and MSN to interoperate because they were becoming monopolies and fiefdoms, and that was bad for consumers. It didn't happen, but yep. I'm just saying it, it was a thing that happened once upon a time. My point here, by the go ahead, Paul. <laughs> I, just, I was trying to get through that as fast I'm as not, I could. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very well done. I just so I just signed up for Wire. I got my sister yeah. sign up for Wire. That was pretty exciting. So Wire is nice because it's like Signal, but you don't need a phone number. Yeah, but I really like Keybase. My problem is I don't want to sign up for a, a platform that's run by somebody. I want it to be a protocol. You know what I mean? Yeah. This was it, the heart it, of the DOJ's case against AOL and right. Messenger, and I'm, this is true. They wanted them to have an interoperable protocol so they would compete on user experience. Because the DOJ were big, like, pigeon users. Oh, my God. <laughs> they, they just knew. I mean, this didn't, it didn't work this way, but they knew mm. that the market would never drive these companies to do that. The market would drive everybody to monopolize. Anyway, look, I know that I know this is a Vergecast and we're supposed to talk about XMPP and we're going to end up talking about Hangouts here in a minute. And I'm just going to stop it. And I want to go back to Apple's earnings. There we go. Apple's <laughs> That's, adjustment. A That's a good call. Dear. And the one of the stories that got passed around was Walt Mossberg uh, yelling at somebody at CES. I don't give an F about your stock price. Um, he, you know, he only cares about the quality of the products. And the thing that fascinates me the most about this thing, this slowdown in China, people upgrading on a different cycle, the phone's costing more, is what practically will it mean for Apple's products, specifically the iPhone, in the coming year or two? And will it mean lower cost phones? Will it mean they'll be more aggressive at different pricing strategies for people to be able to get on upgrade plans? Will it mean uh, more innovative, uh, they're going to push out more innovative like technology ideas more quickly than they might otherwise have in order to try and juice upgrades. I am fascinated by what does Apple think? Because Tim Cook said a bunch of stuff like, we've got plans. We're not going to sit back and wait for the market to beat us up. We're going to do stuff to innovate and get people to spend money on our stuff. And like, what does that innovation look like? Does it look like more services? Does it look like better hardware? Does it look like cheaper hardware? That to me is like the more fascinating question is, what does Apple's reaction to this global trend mean for their actual products? Yeah. 
I mean, so Tim Cook put out a letter today uh, to Apple employees. It was immediately leaked to Bloomberg. And he said, yeah. We're, we will not let uh, external, external forces may push us around a bit, but we manage Apple for the long term and we will take this moment to learn and adapt. That's what you would say. Like, I completely understand, like, you employ 150,000 people. A lot of them get paid in stock. Their compensation just went down for the year, right? Like, you, you need to address them. You need to say that you're going to do something. Learn and adapt is the least, like, sure, you should do that. You should do that every day. Like, I completely understand why you would say that thing. And they, they had a town hall meeting for Apple employees today. So all these things, these are the right management moves. I don't want to discount the fact that, of course, this is what you would say. But the disconnect between, oh, the problem's in China because of the Chinese economy and we need to change something is actually quite large, right? Yeah. Like, if the problem is just the Chinese economy tanked and we have a trade war because of, of Trump, the phones are still great, we're still doing really well, everywhere else we're setting these records, then learn and adapt is actually kind of like an interesting thing to say in that moment, right? It, it, it suggests that you, you actually need to make some other change or there is something broader for you to learn about how to go compete in China in this moment. And again, it's kind of what you have to say. Like, don't don't get me wrong. You have to say something. But it wasn't as much to me that that note from from Cook suggested that Apple will have to make some additional changes to go be competitive. And it's particularly strange because we have talked so much about Google in China and Facebook in China and whether our platform companies should even be there. Right. Yep. Should Google even go to China? Their employees are doing petitions saying, don't go to China. We don't want you to operate there. And on the other hand, you have Apple in China, not doing so great. And Tim Cook is saying, we have to learn and adapt so we're doing better in this market. And we're, you know, the narrative has been, we're a services company. So how do you make the iPhone more valuable in that market? Well, the first thing you have to do is make your services more valuable so you can compete against these low switching costs that people can use on WeChat, which puts you right squarely into that Google Facebook zone. Right, yeah. like Apple already handed over iCloud to a Chinese company at behest of the Chinese government. So there's there's like a lot, there's a lot of things there that are tough, like really really hard. And that Dieter has nothing to do with like, will the products get better? Like there's like philosophical questions to be answered about should we even do the things that would make the products better in that market, versus right. what I started talking about, which is are they even competing where the market is interesting here? Right, like if you're done with your phone, I was just say they should just make a TV. Like, do you want to sell a lot of products in America today? Like, make it make a TV. Like, people will buy yep. the hell out of that TV instead of whatever it is that you're doing with with TV producers right now. You want to be competitive with Google Photos? Like, make a photo frame. Like, these sound like little things, and they are in many cases little things, but they're the they're the far spectrums of the things Apple has to contend with, like the philosophical problems of fixing the business in China. And the extremely boring problems of what what LC, what LCD screen sizes should we make next, and what <laughs> software should go on them? Like that's a huge spectrum of things to contend with. Against yeah, well, I, I was saying against to be fair, one quarter of down earnings. Right, but there's also like, should they buy Netflix or Disney or Sony? Should they actually launch their big you know TV service and all of their new TV shows that they're doing? Should they actually get that out the door finally? You know, they, they could move into other businesses besides consumer electronics because uh, they just they can't figure it out there. Like there's a there's a bunch of stuff that they could do. And it seems clear from the way that Tim Cook is talking that he actually intends to make some of those moves this year. Can I just but it won't be steady on. Can I just tell you guys something? Can I can I interrupt this wonderful conversation and just let you oh, know God. that our general counsel just reminded me that we own Verge.tv? Yes. Really? <laughs> it's really good. This is very exciting. 
Yeah, Dina, sorry. Can, I just needed everyone to know that at this moment in time. Can I just ask okay. a dumb question about economics? Yeah. How big could Apple really ever be? Will we get to this point where we're just like, oh, it's disappointing. Apple was expecting everyone in the world to buy another iPhone this year. And only 75% of the people in the world bought a new iPhone this year. You know, we're, we're real bearish on Apple now. Uh-huh. Is it all the fault of, of the nasty capitalism that we can't just be <laughs> happy with $80 billion? <laughs> well, right. I mean, yes. I mean, the answer is basically yes. But also, if you're Apple and you're any company... And you just have to like mm. give everybody a raise this year. You need to make more money than last year, right? And like that's just the way that's gonna go. So like it, there's like if they want to go invent a self-driving car, or if they want to go make TV shows, they need more money than they had last year. They can't just make you know eighty percent profits and give dividends to stockholders forever, right? Like they're they're trapped by their size. And they need a lot of money to do a bunch of the things they want to do. Like it's not cheap to like produce the iPhone. It's not cheap to manufacture that many things. So, you know, I think the the iPhone is expensive line. His, the counter has always been, well, at this scale to do this kind of technology means it has to be expensive, right? Like, it might not be bad if they reduce demand for the iPhone at the high end so they could make a more premium thing. I think we're just seeing them run into what that means at this scale. Yeah. And it's also really hard for them to meaningfully grow at, at this size, right? They need another planet full of people. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> right. Elon, get on it, buddy. <laughs> Hard invest in Mars colonization so you have a larger market to sell to. I just think they need more stuff. Like, I, I, I don't, you know, it's not iMessage goes on Android and that saves Apple. It's not they make a photo frame and it saves Apple. It literally is like there's an Apple world that you can be in. Mm. And then there's everywhere else where all kinds of neat things are happening. And right? they make and like, your life very difficult to interrupt with the other world if you are in the Apple world. So therefore, they need to f- more fully flesh out the Apple world. Is that what you're saying? Right. Like, yeah. very directly. Like, just something as dumb as Sonos. Like, and we've probably talked about this before. Like, if you buy into the Sonos ecosystem, then whatever it is you want to do next, there's likely a Sonos product that you can buy. Right? Mm, right. Whatever service you're going to switch to next there's likely, you know, there's a very high likelihood that it'll just work with your Sonos. Like, you bought one Sonos one, and then you got a bigger house, you want to put it on home theater. Like, there's like a Sonos solution for you. With Apple, you're kind of like, I guess I'll just buy 15 more HomePods. Like, I, there's literally nothing else for me to buy. You know, the, the endless debate between the iPad and the Mac, like, there actually isn't a middle ground between those things that, like, if you grow out of one, you want to, like, touch your laptop. Like, Apple just won't sell it to you. And I get that, that, you know, their whole philosophy is, like, we say no to so many things and blah, blah, blah. But if you're going to lock your world away, then you need to account for the people there. Or you need to be better, like, interoperating with everybody else. And I think that this sort of, like, gleeful tone, which struck me as strange today about Apple's, like, and everyone's saying, well, the phones are too expensive. I completely understand. I didn't upgrade it. It's... People aren't mesmerized by the products anymore. It's just more Apple stuff. Like, it feels the same way as before. How, how does Apple change that around? Like, the only way you can do it is a new product category. And they're not great at those. Like, th- I have this Apple Watch. I think it's great. It's a Series 4 with cellular because I had this dream of leaving my phone at home, which I haven't done yet. Uh, <laughs> this product is great. It is fantastic. And I have yeah. used the walkie-talkie mode with Becky almost every single day that I've had it, and it is a delight. Um, really? Yeah. It's so dumb. Uh, <laughs> it's super funny. It's like the first thing she gravitated to. 
and you know, I asked her for a review, and she's like, "This interface is confounding. Like, I can barely figure out how to use it, but it's so much fun when I do." Yeah, that's like Apple's problem. Like, they're four generations into this watch. They finally made one that is like fun to use and not confusing and slow, and it's still like pretty confusing, and it still pretty much just puts your text messages on their wrist. Unless you know somebody else, like you know, what I mean, like this thing you're talking about. Like, can they make another product as big as the iPhone? They made that set of promises with the watch. They're still slowly getting there, and it's still not a platform for apps in any meaningful way. The HomePod, I think, is just like whatever it is, which is the speaker that they made. But they haven't put out some new gotta have it product in some time, at least as far as I can tell. I'm sure people will disagree yep. with me. All right, let's take a really quick break. And speaking of gotta have it products, let's let's talk about CES. I can't even sell it. But here's a break. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow dirtbags and everybody else, welcome to This Week in Elon. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lopato, and it has been a busy 2019 already. First, we should play a little bit of catch up at the end of 2018. You may remember that there was this whole thing where Elon Musk tweeted about taking the company private and the SEC got involved and they made a settlement with Musk and Tesla. And as part of the settlement, which had to be implemented as of December 28th last year, two new independent board members needed to be named to the Tesla board. Well, um, they were. (laughs) (laughs) is the good news. One of them is this former Kellogg executive, Kathleen Wilson-Thompson, and she spent 17 years as an exec there, and she currently serves as the executive vice president and global chief human resources officer of the Walgreens Boots Alliance, the holding company that owns Walgreens. The other person who was named was your friend of mine, the billionaire Oracle founder, Larry Ellison. Now, Larry Ellison has a fairly large personality, I think it's safe to say. And there has been some talk about whether or not Ellison can serve as an effective check on Elon Musk. Ellison has called himself a very close friend of Musk and owns almost a billion dollars in Tesla stock. So here's the thing. I don't actually know how Ellison is going to behave in the context of Tesla, in part because he is a bit unpredictable. What I do know, though, is that the Larry Ellison, Elon Musk buddy comedy is a thing that I would like to see in the world. So if you are listening to this and in a position to make that happen, I think it could be very fun, you know, on the, on the level of training day or something. Like, just put the two of them in a car and see what happens. Also, the other thing that happened uh, this year, actually on January 2nd, is that Tesla announced it was going to be dropping prices on all of its cars to help help offset a reduction of the federal electric vehicle tax credit. Now, you may remember that during the Obama administration, this tax credit came into play to encourage people to buy plug-in electric or hybrid cars and also to incentivize automakers to really invest in that technology. But it wasn't ever meant to be a permanent thing. So the way that the tax credit works is that after an automaker delivers its 200,000th eligible car, it then drops to a lower tier. And Tesla became the first company to pass this mark last summer, which meant that that full tax credit would drop from $7,500 to $3,750 starting January 1st. And in response, Tesla has cut its prices. Along with that announcement, the the automaker Tesla also announced initial delivery and production numbers for the fourth quarter of 2018. And it suggests that Tesla has set new company records. So the pace of deliveries tapered off slightly at the end of 2018, according to that release. But the automaker manufactured a total of 86,000 555 vehicles in the fourth quarter and delivered 90,700, both of which are record numbers for Tesla. 
However, if we zoom out and we look at the entire year, you'll find that Tesla made 253,000 cars in 2018 and delivered about 245,000 cars, which is not quite the goal that Musk had initially set of uh, 500,000, but it's still more than double the output of 2017. And that year, the car maker made 101,000 cars and delivered 102,000. So, you know, given the general roller coaster that Tesla experienced last year, it seems like they did okay. Anyway, that's what I've got for you. That's been This Week in Elon. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lopato. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next week. All right, it's happening, Dieter. You're going to see us, what, tomorrow? I'm going on Saturday. Things kick off officially, officially. I mean, uh, the floor, the show floor opens on Tuesday, the 8th. Media Day starts on Sunday, the 6th. That also happens on Monday, the 7th. So CES is happening now. It is beginning. Look, I'm just going to say it. Here's what we expect is going to be the themes of CES 2019. Are you ready? Yeah. Mm -hmm. AI 8K plus 5G. I hate you. 8K, <laughs> 8K 5G plus AI. I, I hate it, you I so much. <laughs> but I'm not kidding. But it's so because true. Because here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a bunch of 8K TVs. There's going to be a bunch of 8K TVs. There's going to be a bunch of people uh, following up on Qualcomm's Hawaii event that they had where they showed off uh, laptops running Snapdragon processors and showed off 5G demos that didn't actually Are you really doing this? Work. Are you really dragging yes. me through this? Okay. I am. And there's going to be a bunch of people like like blowing smoke about how 5G is here and they're ready for it. All right. And then the AI part is going to be Google was huge last year uh, with, you know, hey, Google, buy me some toilet paper. Sorry for everybody who just bought toilet paper. Um, they're they, they're going to have a huge Google presence. And I don't think Amazon's going to sit idly by and let Google win CES in terms of like presence again. And I think they're going to they're going to try and punch back a little bit. And so there's going to be a lot of good old fashioned platform war of, you know, what's got Alexa, what's got Google, what has both? Will they have both? Will they have either who's ahead, who's not ahead, blah, 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 stuff going on. And so it's going to be 8K AI plus 5G, 5G AI plus 8K, whatever, whatever it is. So it's, it's AI it's 8K be... plus 5G. And, it, and, and I just that hurt me. I'm your friend it's, in that hurricane. I'm just telling you, it's going to be Wisconsin Valley in the desert, baby. <laughs> Think of like Children of Men or like the opening of Half-Life 2 and Neil yeah. is a lowly downtrodden citizen of of the techno utopia of Wisconsin and he's being yep. hit by security guards and he's just sad and he's he can't do anything and then there's huge billboards of of all this wonderful technology and that's ces yeah, that's he can't him. he can't reach it he's in a prison uh, with barbed wire fences and um, oppression so i was home yep. and we should talk about ces but i'm just gonna say i was home in wisconsin over the break yep it was great i was in racine racine mm -hmm. by the way um now home to a Starbucks where the exit of the drive-thru connects directly to the entrance of a Taco Bell drive-thru. Yes. Can, can you get right back to the Starbucks so you can just yeah, you live can, in that you loop just for your entire life? through, baby. Um, so it's still my hometown. place. I, I mean, I love it there. But everyone has read the Foxconn coverage and everyone has an opinion. And like my parents' dads are like leaving notes on my Facebook page and everyone mm. is very embarrassed. <laughs> like just just embarrassed all the way around that it's like happening. Also, no one knows what AK plus five G means. Speaking of eight K, we we LG announced its TVs already. Two eight yep. K TVs. We expect them from Samsung. Uh, then there's going to be a bunch of TVs with variable frame rates, which is cool. 
So the T, I mean, this is a TV show. What is CS? Fundamentally, it's a show with new TVs. So yep. the rumor that Google Assistant will come to Samsung TVs, so Google mm-hmm. Assistant and Bixby can fight on another Samsung platform, which is great. And then uh-huh. Alexa is coming to LG TVs, which already have Google uh-huh. Assistant. So that if it's just like they can't do phones, right? Like every other company can't do phones, but they can do TVs. So like, yeah. That's the platform that all the assistants are getting glued onto by default, which is fun. And then I think we're going to see, what, HDMI 2.1. I mean, the the TV specs are crazy, but basically HDMI 2.1 offers much more bandwidth. So the 8K TVs can now run at 60 frames per second, and the 4K TVs can run at 120. And then it allows for variable frame rate, which means primarily for game consoles, if they have to throttle down, the TV can throttle on with them, and you don't get mm-hmm. smearing. I think mm-hmm. that's also really important for um, actually streaming boxes because the, the displays can throttle up and down from 24. So the animations right. look clean when you bring up like the Google Assistant overlay and then you, they can seamlessly switch back to 24 when you go back to watching TV, which is cool. But it's like stuff. Like yeah. I, I just bought a Sony OLED TV knowing full well that new TVs are about to be announced at CES and I thought to myself, I will miss nothing. And it appears <laughs> that I will miss nothing. Yeah, I mean, well, I think you're probably right. I don't know. Uh, I'm excited for some of the TV stuff. High frame rates and variable refresh has been a big part of the improvement in PC gaming over the past few years. So it makes sense that it would be a big improvement for, you know, a multi-stage, expensive, slow transition, but eventually it will improve home uh, or console game. Yeah, right? and that's, that's, just that's what it's for. Right, they they want to push the frame rates of these TVs faster. So I think that's yeah. I think all that stuff is neat. I do think like an eighty-eight inch eight K OLED thing will be fun to look at, and then you know mm-hmm. five years from now we'll see it. I, the main thing is you know five years ago we were looking at four K TVs and we're like we'll never get those. They're way out there, and now we're clearly at the point where HDR four K TVs are mainstream. You can get them for cheap, and so the mm-hmm. TV companies are moving on to the next thing. It's a useful marker of the inflection point. Right? Yeah. Like the 4K transition is just over, and we're moving on to the next thing. And it's kind of amazing that the thing – with the HD transition, the thing that drove it was broadcast television, right? You got football in HD. That was the reason to go by the flat panel. Yeah. We're still broadcasting in 1080. I don't see that changing anytime soon. But it's the availability of content on Netflix, on Amazon, what have you, in 4K HDR, iTunes, Vudu – that is like made that transition real for people. It's like worth it to buy a TV because you're gonna at least get something from Netflix on it. Uh, and now they're moving on to the next thing. What's the what's gonna push 8K? Oh, it's 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 gonna be B-roll of uh, coral reefs of fish <laughs> slipping around. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's all I mean, look, the, the Planet Earth three or whatever has to be awesome. <laughs> like you know, you know that they're like David, like Sir David, like can you please. Just start saying stuff about monkeys now, because we're going to invent the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to figure this out. Can I say something dark? Yeah. Yes. They should, like, David Adborough's getting up there in years, right? Like, he should just ramble about creatures that don't exist. He, they should put him in a room and just have him say random words about animals for, like, 20 hours a day. And then forever after, they'll just be able to remix that into future nature documentaries. So they should deep fake Sir David Attenborough. He, okay, is what you're saying. okay. Yeah. S- speaking of of this technology, <laughs> in ever higher case. Okay, Amazon has Kindle. Amazon yeah. has Audible. There are a uh-huh. billion audiobooks. There are narrators on Audible who have said like maybe five hundred hours or more of recorded audio of reading 
novel style sentences. Why can't an AI combine that with like speech synthesis? It used basically the inflection and tone from that that narrator. And so I can just have my favorite narrator from Audible read any book. So do you remember years and years ago when the Kindle 2 came out, Mm -hmm. the Authors Guild sued Amazon for copyright infringement because it had cheap text-to-speech built in. And I remember mm-hmm. I, I interviewed that guy. It was like a, it was a long interview. We ran out in Gadget. It was like, eight, like a billion years ago. And his, exa- his argument was we have to sue them now because the thing you just described will happen. It's the big, bad government. None of say. those people are the government. That's the government. Zero percent of those individuals are the government. They're using the government. They're using the long arm of the law. No, the sheriff did not go to Jeff Bezos' house. I don't know what you're talking about. They have rights. And their point was we need to assert these rights now because this is our stuff. And if you mm-hmm. want to sell an audiobook, you have to pay us again because that's a derivative work. And if we just let the robots do it now, when the robots get good enough, no one will ever pay us for the audiobook, which is yep. totally fair. Just like if, say, you're a cell carrier and you want to name your – forthcoming streaming service, Gizmodo TV, you should probably go talk to the good people at Gizmodo. It's just a, an idea that I have about, you know, uh, rights and things that you make. Paul looks so mad at me. I want to say one thing on like a broad level about CES, uh, just mm. you know, this, this, you know, it's our preview and we're like, oh, TVs will be fine, but we won't want to upgrade or whatever. CES, everybody makes fun of it for having vaporware and that's True, but CES is not a tech event like an Apple announcement or a Samsung announcement. Like stuff gets announced there that you will be able to buy, but the main thing that happens there is stuff gets announced there that will become like the de facto standard in two to three years. This is what Neil's point was about 4K TVs, you know, three four years ago, right? Um, and so, like, we go there to like experience the stuff, but we also go there to like get a sense of what sort of direction the herd is moving in. And it's worth watching what direction the herd is moving in. Like, it's fun to watch the herd, especially at CES. And there's also the sort of, like, you can tell when they're just, when they're just winging it. Like, 3D TV, we're all like, you guys, you don't mean this. (laughs) Like, your stage spectaculars have to be more spectacular to distract from the hollowness behind your eyes when you tell us 3D TV is the future. Like, you can, you can feel it. And I think that stuff is, like with HDR, you could feel that it was meaningful to everyone involved, right? Like the people making movies wanted it to exist. The TV makers were genuinely hopeful that people would see the difference and buy the TVs. And then we would look at them and say, oh, consumers should actually buy these, right? And that chain of people all sort of agreeing never happened with 3D. It certainly never happened with curved TVs. But mm-hmm. you can feel it. And I, I think getting that sense of the herd is exactly like what, why it's important. All this is to say, I think we've written many, many articles over the years, either tearing down or justifying CES. And now I've just come to the conclusion that it's like a thing that happens. It's just, it's a moment in time for the tech industry to all be in the same room and gossip about Apple or 5G or the Google or AK plus 5G. (laughs) I'm going to ask everybody what they think that means. Maybe that's my one video at CES. I'm going to use the Clips app. I'm going to walk around and just ask every executive I see what they think that means. So it's fun. We get to go. We get to see a lot of stupid things, which is always fun. So the thing I think we're going to see thrown against the wall of people like saying they know what they're doing and they don't are different size screens uh, in like weird contexts. And I'm, I'm referring specifically to like assistants in like alarm clocks and other weird screens attached to assistants. 
And I'm referring to dual screen devices because we know Samsung's got theirs that they're going to announce sometime this year. We know uh, or strongly suspect Microsoft is working on something. We know I, I personally played with some of Intel's prototypes that they are definitely moving towards doing something with a curved display. So if all that stuff is likely to get announced this year from those big companies, all the small companies that have access to the night shift for those factories that are actually making those things uh, are going to like, oh, yeah, let's just throw something out at CES right now. And I think we're going to see a bunch of wacky little screens and multi-screen and maybe even curved screen devices all over the place. And that's going to be a blast because like, it's going to be running terrible software. And we'll be able to actually like get a sense of what the problems and possibilities are for weird kinds of screens on devices. That's yeah. what I'm hoping for anyway. I, I bought a Home Hub, a Google Home Hub, for virtually every member of every – Every family unit that needs to see photos of the baby got a home hub for me, right? So, like, yeah. both of Becky's parents, my parents, my sister, like, and all those people already have Alexa devices. So it's, like, this fascinating experiment where suddenly everybody has Google and Alexa next to each other. And everyone sort of immediately started talking to the one with the screen. It is just, really? like, a wild phenomenon. Yeah, because it shows you what you're saying. Right. So it, there's, like, just less confusion. And then because what, one thing you can do is ask it for photos, like, that's neat. Right. Yep. But then everyone ran into the fact that the Google Assistant ecosystem isn't quite as big as the Alexa ecosystem. So my parents, they have it connected to their Sonos. You can't ask it to play your Sonos, which is hilarious because we literally had the CEO of Sonos on the show and I demanded to know. And he said by the end of the year and then it, it has not yet happened. Um, right. And then at my sister's house, they've got like a they've got smart home stuff everywhere. And like that stuff just works better with Alexa right now. And like. I have a Sony TV at my house that runs Android TV, and Google Assistant should nominally be able to control it, and it's still pretty broken. Like, yeah. And so it's really interesting to see people want to use the one with the screen. They prefer the, the photo frame aspect of it because it is a beautiful photo frame. And then it just kind of falls down in practice against Alexa, and I think Google has, uh, has a way to go with that stuff. It is much smarter, I will say, because it's Google. So it has a search engine that's quite good underneath it. The other thing I'll say about the Home Hub, it gave it to everyone as a photo frame. Here's this thing. It's a pretty good photo frame. The photo frame settings are completely buried in the Home app. So there's like, you open it and you're like, I want to change what photos it shows. Three menus deep listed under the words ambient mode, which huh. is just where everyone would, would want to Yeah, it's the worst. I I was complaining about this. It is. I wanted to like explain to my parents how they could like add their own albums to. First, I have to explain Google Photos. Fine. Then I have yeah. to explain how they get their Google Photos to show up on their screen. And it was just like, I finally, like, I found it myself, you know, after looking for it for the 10th time in yeah. my life. And I was like, just call me. Yeah. Like, that's that's the answer. And that's terrible. I ended up just making an album called Photo Frame and saying, just add your photos to this album. Because <laughs> it's easier yeah. than figuring it out. Um, this is why I started saying, like, Apple, if they were smart, that HomePod would have been a speaker with a frame. And they said, show your iCloud photos on this. And they would just put that in people's house. It's like a trivial product for them to make. And it's the one that would have every single person with iCloud photos, which is basically every parent that I know, would have immediately bought that product instead of the Google Home. Right. It just feels like there's something wrong with all computers, though. Don't you think that sometimes? Paul, is that the, is, that's the title of your autobiography? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that whole sentence. <laughs> just, can someone please mock that up for my, me and send it in? My thing, wait, it's just like I'm, I've got content on my phone. How do I get it onto a TV? Hope they have Chromecast. Yeah. Oh, wait, I'm using an Amazon thing, so it won't even use Chromecast even if I have You know, they're just like... 
there's these endless things where there's this digital content that is somehow owned by somebody and it, it clearly isn't me because getting it like across different devices like i wanted to listen to music with someone the other night on on discord right it's like discord that's like live audio between two people seems like listening to music with people would be really no you you both need a spotify premium account that's how you wow. listen to music with people on discord you know there's something like there's something wrong with our computer abstractions if if these are the hardest things to do it's sharing digital things is no, I'm with so you. hard i proposed this to Dieter earlier today and now i'll propose it to you and by extension uh-huh. the audience of thousands of people that listen to it we should have the lock in awards we should call them the Lockies. Hey, the Lockies. <laughs> right? And every year we give out Lockies for the dumbest lock-in okay. experiences that consumers okay. can have with their technology. There's petty, right? That's like <laughs> like the the beefs, right? There's the petty yeah. category. Then there's like low effort, yep. right? You just yeah. didn't you didn't try. Um and then um something like tripping over your shoelaces kind of vibe, you know, like you really put you're you're just a fool. What but what's the one where you're just oh there's greedy. Greedy. We should just name them after the seven dwarves. <laughs> the Lockies. The seven, the seven Lockies. There's <laughs> dopey, happy, greedy, sleepy. Like, it fits. It's perfect. <laughs> Sleep. Oh, sleepy is great. Like, he just missed it. Like, you, you, you could have you done this, and you, you just missed it. So I think, for example, uh, the lack of the fact that Apple, at a system level, will only use AirPlay and not mm-hmm. cast is like mm-hmm. super dumb. Yeah. Right? Because are they really are they really out there saying you should buy a $149 Apple TV instead of a $29 Chromecast just to make this this very simple idea work? Like that's ridiculous yeah. to me. Isn't it Apple TV yeah. like $169? It's something ridiculous. It's like a million dollars. I just looked it up and it's a million dollars. And you can't even you can't even play Bandersnatch on it I hear or watch or whatever you oh, do really? with it with that Netflix thing. That's what I heard. I haven't tried it. Oh, Could be wrong. Gosh. It's one forty nine for the little guy. Yeah. It's wait. Nope. I'm wrong. The four K. The Apple's pricing. I just said they don't make enough products, and then sometimes <laughs> it's like, why do you make so many products? The non four K is one forty nine, and yep. the four K is one seventy nine. Uh, yep. And then the four K with more storage for something mm-hmm. for all those games you're playing on your Apple TV. Yeah. Is one ninety nine. Which, but no. yeah, I mean, it's like that. The Lockies. If you have suggestions for the Lockies, yep, we'll come back after CS and we'll 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 put them together. And they and they have to be named after the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah, Paul. Every week, mm-hmm. you do a segment. Yes. What's it called? It's called. Tell me, am I beautiful? <laughs> okay. Yes, you are, Paul. Thank you, Theater. <laughs> um, Neutrogena. Will 3D print custom face masks based on buyer's skin measurements? So Neutrogena has uh, an iPhone app or accessory called Skin360, and you can do these like macro scans of your face quality. It's kind of terrifying to actually look at it. But now they're going to make these custom printed masks that you can like put on your face and then like get like nutrients into your face but like custom to your face size and theoretically i guess your face's condition which this just sounds like super cyberpunk right you you use yeah. you use a, a like a, a tricorder like tool to scan the condition of your face and then you have on demand printed a like a face fix serum 
mask that you just apply to your face and now you have a better face. I think the sci-fi piece would be if you printed out a new face. Yeah. Mm. Well, they're one they're one step on the journey. <laughs> that's that's This that's is truly next. the CES the 5 years from now at CES will be like and you can just here's a new face. Well, wh- how much does this cost? I have no idea. One one <laughs> one really interesting <laughs> one interesting part is that they're going to have you um you can monitor if your skin is improved, th- th- that's one problem. Like for me, like I picked a very specific bar of soap because I liked the way I felt after I used that soap and most soaps I didn't. Right. But I don't know scientifically if it's the best soap for me. You know, so the idea of being like able to measure your skin condition before and after you do things to your skin. I think that's also interesting. I don't know. I feel like there's just a lot of exciting cyberpunk stuff here. Yeah. Didn't we do a bunch of circuit breaker stuff and like on demand skincare? I feel like Ashley, yeah, we did a whole segment on the Circuit yep. Breaker show where Ashley was like, the makeup companies are coming for you because they can sell you subscriptions to your face. Yep. For sure. Yeah, and they, but, they've got like custom scanners and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's coming. But it's it's so much better than just like, here's a, here's a you know, a, a subscription to a pod and everybody else gets the same pod. Like the fact that this is custom is very uh, diamond age, I would say. Okay. I can't wait for you to try it. <laughs> I'm Is there a lock-in component? Such good skin. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm giving <laughs> Nate Neutrogena constant updates on the very specific qualities of my skin. Yeah. And then you can't get the data back out. Yeah. Can I get all my skin data? Yeah. See, regulation is great. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We got to wrap it up. Like I said, it was, was going to be a long CS show, and then all, all hell broke loose. But- Look, Apple will be back tomorrow. They're still one of the biggest companies in the world. They're going to make new phones. They're going to learn and adapt. They're going to come out with more more websites to try to exhort you to buy an iPhone XR. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. They're not poor. I bought an iPhone XR. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. I told my mother-in-law to get one. Yeah. I just think people want the mo- most expensive iPhone, and that's really expensive. It's a lot. All right. Next week, we're at CES. We're going to do a Vergecast. Dieter and I will be there. It's going to be confusing and sleepy, <laughs> as every CES Vergecast has ever been. Uh, we're also going to try to get who, who, whoever is at CS to sit down for an interview, so look out for that. We might put some more episodes in the feed. And then we're back from CS. It'll be 2019, a brand new year, during which you can listen to this podcast. You can listen to Why'd You Push That Button. There's a new episode about question apps. Ashley bravely took anonymous questions on her Instagram, which is wild. Go listen to that. It's a great episode. Season 3, Why'd You Push That Button. So good. You can also check out Pivot with Scott Galloway, Function with Neil Dash, all part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. You can tweet at us. Please, I'm looking for Paul's autobiography. Uh, don't you think something is wrong with all computers? It's just something I think. <laughs> is that what you said, Paul? <laughs> Rewind. It's pretty close. Photoshop me that. And then I'm looking for Locky submissions. Yep. The Locking Awards by The Verge. It's happening. And then uh, we're going we're gonna to just keep kicking ass in 2019. That's it. Rock and roll. Paul. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.